So I did it at 10, and then I was invited to stay and, and watch a Catholic Mass. And so I did. And I got my squats in for the week. I've never done so much sitting and standing up and down and up and down. And then they was burning their incense. And uh, I got tickled. I was telling Bobby, what's Bobby's last name at the church? Bobby, he- Heaven, 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 or something like that. Some of y'all know her, I think. Um, but I stunk pretty much when I got when I left the church. I smelled like incense, and I could smell myself the whole evening because I had to to go up Beach Mountain and drive our uh, one of our work buses. And I, th- I thought to myself, then people are going to think this poor little Catholic boy left Mass just to drive our bus because they could, sm- you could, the whole bus smelled like me, smelled like Mass, or whatever it was. So, anyway, I did not get an infection, a sinus infection from the from the incense they were burning. <laughs> so, I appreciate Bob coming up here, and it sounded like everything went well last Monday with the uh, the association meeting up here. Bob called Tuesday and said that he felt like it went really well. I appreciate everybody making the food. I hate I couldn't be here, but I was blowing my nose. I just couldn't be here. All right, so we left off in 1 Peter chapter 12, or chapter 1, and uh, you don't have to turn there because we ain't there today. Just so you know, flip over to Zechariah, not Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 9, Zechariah chapter 9. We're going to be in Zechariah, and we're going to be over in Mark 11 as well. So if you want to mark those two spots. Uh, this is starting uh, one of my favorite times of the year. I love it. I absolutely love today starting off as, as Palm Sunday or uh, the triumphal entry, whatever you want to call it. I love it. Love what takes place over the next seven days. That's why he came. So he's coming into Jerusalem today. He's riding in on his little donkey. Good things are about to happen. Bad things are about to happen. Bad things are going to happen at the end of the week. I love this time of year. This morning, we're going to preach on three things out of Zechariah and out of Mark as well. We're going to preach on the coming of the king. We're going to look at a lot of prophecy towards the end of the sermon. And when I say the king is coming, I don't mean this out of Zechariah. We're going to preach on Zechariah, and we're going to preach on King coming and the prophecy there. But we're going to preach on the second coming as well because the king's still coming. The king came. The king came in the form of a child. The king came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. The king went home, sat on the right hand of the father, but the king's coming back. The king's coming back. So anytime today I happen to mention the fact that the king is coming I don't mean that as whatever happened in the past. I'm talking about in the future. It's happening now. He's preparing right now. God is preparing us right now for the return of the king. How's he going to come? We ain't going to get into that, but if you've read much about Jesus and the way he's going to come in the book of Revelation, it's going to be great. The eastern sky is going to split wide open. He's going to come on back home. He's going to get us, take us home. I'm looking forward to that. We're going to look at three things about the coming of the king this morning. We're going to at three points. We're going to look at it. He is Jesus is personal. That that's what we say about a relationship with Jesus. We we don't say that we're religious people because religion sends you to hell. It's a personal relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. So the first thing we'll look at is he is personal. Second thing is he is powerful and the third thing is he's precise. That precise part right there, that's, gonna, that's where we're going to start looking at 
um, prophecy, the prophecy of his return. When God sent Haggai, and, and I'll just try to try to catch you up here. I'm in the wrong place. Uh, when when uh, God, I'm sorry, when God sent Haggai and Zechariah um, to deliver his his word, Jerusalem, it was still in ruins. It had been destroyed by the Babylonians back around 586 B.C. And so when Haggai and Zechariah were starting to write down their prophecy and when they had moved back over to Jerusalem, when they were talking to these Jews that had just moved back in uh, to start the rebuild process, it was around 520 B.C. So it had been a few years. Remember, it's B.C., so I'm, got, I'm going backwards, 586 to 520. We ain't got to Jesus' birth yet. And so the ruins were there. And so Haggai was preaching and, and prophesying and being an encouragement to the Jews that were there because he wanted to, to be that encouragement as they rebuilt the temple. As they came back into Jerusalem to rebuild all that the Babylonians had destroyed, Haggai is there to be an encouragement. Well, then you got old Zechariah there. Now, Zechariah, he wasn't going to preach about and wasn't going to prophesy about what's going on right now. He said, God didn't lay it on his heart to prophesy about the rebuilding of the temple. What God laid on Zechariah's heart was long range. He was a long range looker. He was looking down the scope and he could see some great things coming. Zechariah could look down the scope and he could see a king coming. And so he was going to prophesy and he was going to tell the world. And he's still telling the world. What we're getting ready to read in Zechariah, folks, it's happening today too. We're still waiting on the king to come back. He came once. He's going to come again. And so he's been an, almost an encouragement to us. He's looking down the road, and he sees a day when Jerusalem will be visited by the king. It's exciting. I tell you what, the, the times I've been to, to Israel, it's exciting to be in Jerusalem walking around and thinking, what if Jesus came back right now? What if, what if he just appeared? What if, the, what if we're sitting here on the Sea of Galilee? We're over in Tiberias. Or what if we're actually at the Dome of the Rock? Or what if? What if? What if we're over here and we're down in the Jordan and, and, and we're doing baptisms? What if the king returns right now? The, of the three times I've been there, there's only been one time I went to the Mount of Olives and actually stood on top of the Mount of Olives on the rock where they said Jesus ascended, they said. I go up there because of my God as friends. I wasn't supposed to be in there, but he allowed me into this, this place, and I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, if this is it, if this is it, what a time it would be for me to be standing right here, right now, on top of the Mount of Olives, and, and the king returned. He's going to return. He's coming back for us. He's the king of kings, and Zechariah is, is, is prophesying the return of this king or this coming of the king. These prophets right here, the prophet sees the day when the Messiah will come, and Jerusalem will be filled with his glory. He can see that. In your mind this morning, I want you to see that. I want you to, to think about Jesus' return. We've seen pictures. We don't have it here. But we've seen pictures of that return where the sky opens and the dove and we see Jesus and he's, he's cloaked and he's wearing these garments of white. We've seen these pictures in your mind this morning. I want you to see the king coming. In your heart, I want you to feel like the king is coming because he is. 
He is on his way. What is he doing? He's just waiting on the Father to say, go. That's all he's waiting on. He's ready. He's ready. Are you? He's coming. Are you ready for him to come? If you will, stay in just a moment. We're going to read this one verse together. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Love this stuff. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. That's it. Father God, we just want to come to you this morning. God, just thank you again for, uh, for this for this moment that we have together, for this time that we have to read the Word of God, to read the Scripture of the prophet. Lord, as he, uh, he explained the, the coming of the King, but Lord, as we get a little bit deeper into it, God, it just does my heart some good to know that the King is still coming. He came through once as a child. Father, when He returns, oh Lord, when He returns, we know we're going home. When he returns, he's going to bring up his church. He's going to take the church with him. God, I look so forward to that. Lord, I pray this morning that you just touch this congregation, touch this church. And Lord, I pray that hearts are prepared and ready. And Lord, I pray each one that's here today, those in the sound of my voice today, God, I pray that they know that the king is coming. But more importantly, I pray that they know in their heart that the king is coming for them. Lord, they have that relationship. They have a personal relationship with the King, Jesus Christ, and they're ready to go home. Lord, just bless our time together. All this in your son's name we pray. Amen. You have a seat. <clears throat> First thing we're going to look at this morning, Jesus is a personal king. It's personal. I want you to, I want you to look at that one little verse right there, or part there in, in verse 9. It says, Thy king cometh unto thee. Thy king cometh unto thee. Now you could take those few words right there and put it just like this. Thy king cometh unto Conley. Thy king cometh unto Jerry. Believe it or not, thy king cometh unto VJ. It's personal. It's personal. You can take that scripture right there, and instead of saying thee, put your name in it. Thy king cometh unto you, because my Jesus is a personal king. My Jesus is personal to you. It's a one-on-one thing. He loves you. He loves us all. But we've said it in the past, and I'm going to say it again. He would have come just for one of us. He would have died on that cross for just one of us, but he said, you know what? I can do it all. I can cover it all. I'll die for them all. But it's personal. You have to have that one-on-one relationship with Jesus. Zechariah tells us that this coming king was coming for individuals. Zechariah didn't say he's coming for just the Jews. He didn't say he's just coming for Israel. He didn't say he's just coming for those in Bethlehem or those that are in Jerusalem or those that are in uh, Galilee. He didn't say he's coming for just the folks out in Newland. What he said is that he's coming for the individuals. Thy. He's coming for you. He's coming as king for you. 
The individual was on his heart. The individual was on Jesus' heart. On the cross, the individual, you, was on his heart, not on his mind. I don't want to be on somebody's mind. I appreciate it when you think about me, but I want to be on your heart. I, don't, I love getting a text message or phone call and saying, you're on my heart today. That means a lot more to me than you saying, thinking about you. Because if I'm on your heart, you're probably praying for me. And I appreciate that. As individuals, you were and are on Jesus' heart because it's a personal relationship. It is one-on-one. So you're on his heart. And that very heart of his is ministry. And that's what he wants is to minister to each one of us. Luke 19, Jesus says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. The Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. That is you. The that in that, that scripture, that's you. That which is lost, every one of us. It's personal. And we know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, that whosoever is individual. That's one-on-one. That's you. I'm a whosoever. I love to wear my sweatshirt. My, my, I've got a sweatshirt and a t-shirt both. And it says, front of it just says, I'm a whosoever. I'm a whosoever. That's a conversation start. What does it mean? What's a whosoever? I'm one. I have a relationship with Jesus, and I am a whosoever because I gave my life to Jesus. I became a whosoever, and I have a relationship with him. In the, in the parables of, that Jesus tells, he, he's seen looking for one. You go back and you look at, at Luke, in Luke 15, it's where the, these three are. He's looking for what? One lost sheep. Luke 15, he's looking for one lost silver coin. Luke 15, he's looking for one lost son. He's always looking for the one because my Jesus is personal. My Jesus loves us individually. 100% equally, he loves us. He's a personal God. He loves us that much. God in all his excellency and all his supremacy and all his majesty has never had a need for anything. He's never needed a thing from us. He's always wanted us to love him, but he has never needed anything from us. But God. But God came for you. He came for you. He didn't need nothing from you, but he came for you so that when it's time for us to go, as long as we have a relationship with his son, we would have that home. We would have that peace. We would be saved from the sins of our life. In this world that we're living in right now, sinful world. Second Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. All. So he's personal. He wants a relationship with you. We know that. But he doesn't want anyone, anyone to go to hell. Are there people in hell right now? Yes. It's filling up daily. He doesn't want that. What he wants is repentance. What he wants is relationship with each one of you. Each and every single one of us right here inside these, this church wall right now, he wants a relationship with you. 
But he also wants a relationship with the man or the woman across the road or down the street or at the next church up the road. He still wants a relationship with each one of us because he is a personal God. He loves you individually. Secondly, Jesus is a powerful God. That verse says he is just in having salvation. Now, Zechariah writes to tell the people that the most anticipated event in, in the history of mankind, guess what, folks? It's going to happen in Newland. That's not what he said. He said the most anticipated event in the history of mankind is going to happen right here in Jerusalem. It's going to take place. Get ready. I seen it. God spoke to me. God told me. This is Zechariah, not me. So he said, it's going to happen in Jerusalem. Be ready for this. Now, do you think they thought he was crazy? Probably. Why would God send a king to Jerusalem that's been destroyed by the Babylonians? Why would he use the ruins of this great city, or what used to be a great city, why would he use the ruins for a king? A king ain't coming into this mess. A king don't want to be a part of this mess. Why? God said so. That's all Zechariah could say is God said so. This is where God wants the king to arrive. This is where he's going to arrive. That's all there is to it. Ever since the, the fall of Adam and Eve, men and women both have been looking by faith for a redeemer. They've been looking everywhere for a redeemer that will come and pay the, uh, the sin debt of mankind. Genesis 3.15 says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. For thousands of years, what did they do? Thousands of years, they would go out and they'd find their goat, they'd find their calf, they'd find their lamb, they would bring something, and they would sacrifice it. They would kill it, they would slaughter it, they'd bring the blood, and they'd put it on the altar. They would take the carcass, and they would burn it up and send it up to God for years, thousands of years. That's how they felt like they could take care of their sins, how they could cover up their sins, how they could please God and get forgiveness from God. It's almost like they were trying to, to pay Him with these sacrifices for their sins. They were looking for the day, though, when the Redeemer would come and take away their sin forever. They were looking for the day when they would stop having to slaughter lambs and goats and whatever else, calves. They were looking for that day. They just wanted a day when they could stop with the slaughter because they knew that someone was coming. They knew a Messiah was coming. And so by faith, they were just waiting. One day, I'll get to stop the slaughter. One day, someone is going to take away the, the pain that I'm going through right now, the sins that I'm going through right now, someday someone is going to cover my sins. So they just waited. And what does Zechariah tell them? He said, one is coming. One's coming. He's coming. Just wait. One who will do more than just cover your sins. One that will save you from your sins. Zechariah says, not only will he cover it, but he's going to save you from it. They wasn't used to that. They wasn't used. Those people, they made their sacrifices and they kept making them and kept making them and kept making them until they died. They kept making their sacrifices. But Zechariah's saying, he'll save you from your sins. You won't have to do this no more. He's coming. And that was a promise, if you think about it, we talked about a few months ago at Christmas. Is a promise the angel made when, when, uh, 
or the one that announced the birth of Jesus to Joseph over in Matthew 1, he said, And she shall bring forth the son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Prophecy. Prophecy being fulfilled right there. Prophecy. This is before Jesus was born. Now, he was conceived, but this is before he was born. And he said, the angel said he would save him from their sins. And that was the same message preached by John the Baptist. And John said, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He knew it. Prophecy being fulfilled right there. He came to take away the sins of the world. Folks, that was just what Jesus did when he came to this world. He went to the cross and did that. that mm, he did what millions of sacrificial animals couldn't do. Save you from your sins. There ain't a lamb or a calf in this world that was perfect enough to save us from our sins. They might cover our sins, but they couldn't save us from our sins. But there was a lamb. There was a lamb. And there's still a lamb. Amen. And he's king. He's king. He paid the entire debt of sin owed by mankind. Hebrews 10, 11 says, And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Offering sacrifices that cannot take away sins. That's the priests. And then God sent the high priest. And what happened after he was crucified and was resurrected? This one man, Jesus, after he had offered up one sacrifice for sins forever, he went home and is sitting on the right side of the Father as we speak. As I stand here today, as I preach, as you sit here today and as you listen, God has his son, Jesus Christ, the king on the right side. On the right side. That's an important place to be. Mark 16, 19 says, So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. The right hand's a good place to be all the time. You're, who in here has ever been somebody's right hand man? Or woman, whatever. That, that's when somebody says that's my right hand that ought to make you feel good because what the Bible says about the right hand is it's a place of honor and status and it's a symbol of strength honor status strength what is Jesus he's our rock he's our strong arm he is the one that we depend on He's the one that we need. He's solid. So, if my Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, that will make you a little bit happy. That will give you some more encouragement knowing that my Jesus is sitting in the most sacred spot that there is. Not just in heaven, but on the right hand side of God. That's special. The right hand. Whew. Third thing. 
we're going to look at some prophecy. My Jesus is a precise king. Punctual. I was trying to think of all these P's to put in here this week. And precise and punctual was the two things that came to mind for this one. Because he's right on time. Precise, punctual. How many people do y'all know in your lives that are punctual? They are always on time. They ain't many of them. They ain't many at all. I know I don't live with any. <laughs> Zechariah told everyone exactly how they would be able to recognize this king when he came to him. He was precise. Now, Zechariah was precise. Think about that. Long range, looking down the road, he's being precise about this. He says he would come to them riding upon the colt of an ass. The triumphal entry of my Jesus riding into Jerusalem, <laughs> it was predicted 500 years before it happened. 500 years. Can you imagine? 500 years before Jesus made it back to Jerusalem. Do you think the Jews were even thinking 500 years down the road? They couldn't think five days or five minutes ahead because their place is in ruins. And then you got Haggai's trying to be an encouragement. And then you got Zechariah talking about 500 years down the road. They didn't know it was going to be 500 years, but he's talking long range, trying to be an encouragement as well. Now, if you do have your Bibles over to Mark 11, I want to read this. Mark 11, 1. You don't have to get up. I'll, I'll read this one. Mark 11, 1. It says, And when they came not nigh to Jerusalem and to Bethpage in Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied, whereon never man sat. Loose him and bring him. And in and if any man say unto you, Why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. And they went their way, and found the colt tied by the door, without a place where two ways met, and they loose him. And certain of them that stood there said unto them, What do ye loosen the colt? And they said unto them, Even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him, and they sat, him, sat he, and he sat upon him. And many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees and strawed them in the way. And they that went before and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Why is that important? Why is that important to us? Paul wrote something over in Galatians. Try to clear that up for you. It said, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth the Son, made of woman, made under the law. God sent the Son. King Jesus came exactly as the Old Testament prophet said he would. That's why it's important. It's prophecy fulfilled. We did it back in December, November, whatever. We were looking at Christ and, and his birth, and, and y'all know how I love the, the prophecy. And so we looked at that prophecy, 
And that prophecy was fulfilled by the birth of Jesus. Move on up 33 and a half more years, more prophecy is being fulfilled by Jesus. Now he is coming in to Jerusalem on that donkey the way that they said he would come in. He fulfilled prophecy. But here's the thing. He didn't just fulfill prophecy. He fulfilled prophecy precisely. 2.18, you cannot, and you will not, I don't care, and I would love, I'd encourage you to do this. You try to nitpick the Old Testament prophecy apart. Try. You try to take, and we're getting ready to do some, some parallel preaching here in just a second, but you try to parallel Old Testament prophecy with the New Testament where it was fulfilled and try to find something wrong, you ain't going to. You're going to waste your time. You're going to learn a lot, but you're not going to be able to pick it apart to a point where you can say, these contradict themselves because we know the Bible doesn't contradict itself. We know God don't contradict himself. There's no confusion in that Bible. And so it was important that Jesus wrote in that way because it was fulfilling the prophecy. When I say prophecy, that's not Zechariah. I'm not saying the prophecy of Zechariah. I'm saying the prophecy of God through Zechariah. God told Zechariah what was going to happen. That's why it's so important. All the prophecy with his birth, with his death, with his resurrection, everything that we talk about <coughs> is through God. And he used these men to pin this down. He spoke to these men, and they wrote it down. And so it's not fulfilling Zechariah's prophecy. It's fulfilling God's, because God said it would happen. So the, the prophecies of Jesus' birth, they were true. I believe we can all agree on that, can't we? Yes, we can agree on that. It happened. We know it happened. So if we know that the birth prophecies were true, then the prophecies of his return are just as certain to come true. Now, I'm not talking about his return to Jerusalem on the donkey. I'm talking about his second coming. I'm talking about when he comes back for us. In verse 9, the prophet here is speaking of the, the first coming. But in verse 10, I'm going to flip back over here to Zechariah. Verse 10 in chapter 9 here, Zechariah says, And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace unto the heathen. And his dominion shall be from sea even to sea, and from the river even to the ends of the earth. This is second coming prophecy right here. He said, he shall speak peace unto the heathen. Zechariah 9 tells us that the king will come to Jerusalem riding on a donkey. We just talked about that. That's prophecy. Mark 11 fulfills it, says... And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. Prophecy fulfilled. Check. Zechariah 11 says that the king will be despised by his own people and rejected in favor of another king. John 19, 15. We have no king but Caesar. Prophecy fulfilled. Check. Zechariah eleven twelve says, for, uh, It was foretold that our king would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Matthew 26, 15 says, And they counted out to Judas 30 pieces of silver. Prophecy fulfilled. Check. Zechariah 13, 7 says, 
Smite the shepherd. Here we go, Keith. This is what we're talking about. Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. Matthew 26, 31, Jesus quoted the same thing the night of his betrayal. Then saith Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. To answer your question, I think they went home too. I think they went home. They went abroad. They didn't go to one central location and cower together. I think they went home. Other words, prophecy fulfilled. Check. Zechariah 12.10 says, Our king's body would be pierced. John 19.34, But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. Prophecy fulfilled. Then John said these things were done that the scripture might be fulfilled. This is where it's doing it. Zechariah 14.4 says, When the Messiah returns, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. So we haven't got here yet. This is what the Bible says in Acts. Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they into Jerusalem, listen, from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. Jesus departed when he ascended. And we'll talk about this probably in a few weeks. When he ascended, and he went back to heaven, he went back to heaven from the Mount of Olives. There is a rock on the Mount of Olives that, that supposedly Jesus stood on as he ascended. It's the highest point on the Mount of Olives. That rock he ascended from, that rock he will descend back to, or that region, right, that Mount of Olives. That's where he will descend. When he comes back for us, that's where he will return. So, prophecy fulfilled? Not yet. Not yet. Almost. We're getting close. But not yet. We're getting there. We're getting there. I'm going to end with this right here. A king is coming. Jesus is coming. King Jesus is coming. When? We don't know. What time? I don't know. What day? I have no clue. Where? Kind of read it. It's come out of the eastern sky. And his feet are going to land at the Mount of Olives. And it's going to split. The Bible says it splits. That's all I know. That's all the prophecy he told us. No man knoweth the day or the hour but God. That's it. Keep your eyes focused to the east. Wait for that trumpet. The sky's going to split. Trump's going to sound. King Jesus is coming for you. Jesus is coming. The king is coming. I hope and pray that you're all ready. I'm ready. I can't wait. I can't wait to go. Stand with me. We're going to close out. The king is coming. Not just a king. There's lots of kings. There's lots of kings in this world, believe it or not. 
Well, I'm talking about the king. Jesus is coming. Amen. I hope and pray each one of y'all ready. I hope and pray y'all ready. This is a special week. We've got a special time coming up this Sunday, not just the breakfast, but Easter. We're not celebrating death. We're going to be celebrating life. We're going to be celebrating resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this Sunday will be special too because I'm actually going to gear this whole thing towards kids. You adults just going to have to grin and bear it. But I need every youngin that can be here to be here this Sunday. It's coming Sunday. Bring them all. And no, we're not having a secular Easter egg hunt inside the church. Trust me, that ain't happening. But this will involve eggs. I promise you that. But it's going to be good, and I think you guys will get as much out of it as youngins will. So I'm going to need y'all Sunday. <laughs> uh, might even try to get Clayton to roll around and help out a little bit. But it's going to be a special day. This week... As you study, as you read, whatever you do, I just want you to reflect back on this week over 2,000 years ago. Reflect back on what the disciples were witnessing that they didn't know they was witnessing. Think about what was going through Jesus' heart at this time over 2,000 years ago. There's a lot going on. He had a lot of stress. He knew what was coming. But I want you to reflect back on that this week. And kind of prepare yourselves for this coming Sunday as we preach Easter. It's, folks, it's special. This is, this is, this is my favorite time of year. Shoo. Greater love hath no man than this. <laughs> when you just stop and think about that. Greater love hath no man than this. That a man lay down his life for his friends. We're friends. What a friend we have in Jesus. Prepare yourselves this week. Get closer to God this week. Read a lot this week. Let's pray. Father, this evening we just want to thank you for this time that you've given us to come back to your house. We thank you for your word. We thank you for that prophecy. But Lord, as we look there at Acts, we can't put a check in that box yet. That prophecy hadn't been fulfilled. Your son hadn't stepped foot back on the Mount of Olives yet. But Lord, as we prepare for this week, as we prepare for this coming Sunday, Lord, I pray each one of us can continue to prepare our hearts for that return of the King as He leaves the, the comforts of heaven one more time. He splits that eastern sky and He's going to step foot on that Mount of Olives. <laughs> we get to go back home. We're going home with Him. And I pray that we can rejoice in our hearts knowing that we have room at that table, that marriage supper. I hope it makes our hearts rejoice knowing 
that we are eternally secure in your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray this morning that as we depart from this place, if anyone has any burdens on their heart, if they have any confusion in their heart and their life about their salvation, God, I pray today that they would just stop and, and accept your Son, Jesus, into their heart. Lord, I pray today would be that day of salvation. Lord, because we don't know when the King returns. We don't know the day or the hour. But we do know life is but a vapor. So we best get ready now. And I pray we do that. We do that quickly. Lord, I pray that you be with us this week as we prepare our hearts for this coming Easter. As uh, we prepare for not just death on the cross and the burial of the tomb, but Lord, as we prepare to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Oh, what a day. Lord, I just thank you for this time that you've given us today, and I pray, Lord, you keep us safe in our travels this week. Bring us back here at the next appointed time. Alice, your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. See you all Wednesday night.